I'm Jeff Gibson. And I'm Shanna Paxton. And we are the, the Movie, Movie Lovers. Lovers. Welcome Hello. to the official podcast of the Gibson Review. In every episode, we kick it off with the week in review, what movies and TV shows we've been watching since the last episode. Move on to the main event, which is a topic of discussion or main review. And then typically finish up with film faves, our respective lists of our 12 favorite movies around a particular topic. In this episode, though, because we are nearing the end of the year, it is time for our annual roundup episode yes instead of adhering to the format strictly in this episode we will be talking about movies from this year that we have been catching up with and it'll be an episode jam-packed with reviews of oh 10 or so movies so let's get into it but first we will do a weekend review segment in the sense that we're talking about movies that Shanna and I respectively independently watched and caught up with from this year. Shanna, you have two movies to start us off with. Yes. So for the first one, it's available to stream on Disney Plus, Godmothered, a fairy tale about how godmothers become who they are. A school of godmothers are risking extinction due to an old formula. It takes Eleanor who's played by Gillian Bell, to save their way of life when she helps Mackenzie, played by Isla Fisher. Cute and whimsical, but it falls a bit short delivering the message that they discover they have near the end. All in all, it's, it's you know, one of those, I'm just going to switch this on because I don't feel well, and there's sparkly effects and the lighting's really good. Kind of eat some popcorn and not think about life movies. But I love seeing Isla Fisher and I love seeing Julian Bells, Julian Bells. So there we go. I give this like a six out of ten. All right. And your next movie? Oh, good. So the next movie is available on Netflix. It's called I'm Thinking of Ending Things. I love the performances in this film. I think that these... Who's the performances by? I'm so glad you asked. I'm sure you are. Uh-huh. It's Jesse Buckley as the young woman. Tony Collette as the mother, David Thewlis as the father. And then we have Jesse Plemons from Friday Night Lights. Mm -hmm. So it was kind of jarring watching this movie a night or two ago. And then we watched like four episodes of Friday Night Lights where he featured prominently. Mm -hmm. It's like, oh, okay. So now I know how to talk about this film. This film is is that character, if things didn't go well in high school for him, this is where he ends up. He ends up in this film. Landry. Landry from Friday Night Lights. Okay. Okay, so what is this film about? Well, I'll tell you what it's about through the IMDb description. Full of misgivings, a young woman travels with her new boyfriend to his parents' secluded farm. Upon arriving, she comes to question everything she thought she knew about him, and herself too. I hated this movie. (laughs) I'm just going to come out and say it, you know, like, look, the cinematography was fabulous. It draws you in, certainly, for the first hour. And then you realize, oh, now they're leaving the parents' house and we still have an hour left. Okay, then. That's great. That's great. Good, good, good. Uh, Look, it was very difficult for me to figure out why I hated this film. It was very difficult for me to find good in this film. 
beyond cinematography and performances. And then you started asking me questions to try and help me formulate my thoughts. I just, I don't like this film. It doesn't resonate with me. It doesn't make me happy, sad, or scared. It's just not a film for me. Maybe I'll watch it again sometime. Well, let's let's break this down. Well, are we going to unpack? Just a little oh, bit. Because I think it's worthwhile rather than just saying that you didn't. Throw out the lingerie, shall we? Rather than just making a blanket statement you didn't like the movie. What was the bad about it? What, what was uh, the bad that outweighed the good? I am a huge fan of nonlinear storytelling. I think we all know that. Do we? And... <laughs> <laughs> I love it when timelines get messed up with and visual effects, you know, play with your brain a little. But this one was just all over the place. It it couldn't stick to a path. It didn't have a path. It hmm. just was all over the place. And there were these moments where I thought or guessed that maybe, you know, these two characters were actually one person. Oh. And there was this inner fight happening or this 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 um war between masculine and feminine energy and existence. Mm-hmm. But really it's just these two people jibber jabbering about critique of poems or movies or songs or the Broadway Oklahoma. And maybe that's what's missing for me. I haven't seen Oklahoma. I haven't. I know nothing about it. You think that matters? I mean, maybe it does. They keep talking about it. Hmm. But like, w- there's one moment where the woman starts speaking in a completely different accent, as if she's just, as if the actual character is using her acting skills. You know, so not the actress herself, but and she's giving this review of this film and I'm like, that sounds really familiar. And it turns out it was, you looked it up and it was a review by Pauline, Pauline who? Pauline Kale. Yeah. And so it was just of a, a woman under the influence, right? By yeah. John Cassavetes. Yeah. So mm-hmm. it was just all over the fucking place and I, I couldn't really get it, but I guess if I was going to say what it's about from my perspective, I am going to, go with the fact that these two people are actually one person, masculine and feminine energy and tendencies fighting against each other. Hmm. Interesting. Okay. And and just to clarify, you have, there's other similar movies full of abstraction and metaphor and non-linear narratives that you haven't had issues with like you have with this one, correct? I mean, probably. I can't recall any of the titles right now. I'm not shy or scared of looking at films like this. This one just got me rubbed up the wrong way, I guess. Okay. So uh, what would you score that one out of 10? A four. Four out of 10. All right. And you haven't seen any other movies on your own, correct? No. <laughs> All right. So that's Godmothered on Disney+, Plus, which you give a mild recommendation to, a six out of 10. And and I'm thinking of ending things which you strongly disliked but gave a 4 out of 10. Uh, and that's on Netflix. Uh, I have one movie that I have seen uh, that I caught up with. It's called Baby Teeth. It stars Eliza Scanlon from Little Women. It also stars the wonderful Ben Mendelsohn, who has been practically everywhere this past decade. The story is uh, directed, by the way, by Shannon Murphy, written by Rita Kalanagy. 
I apologize for the mispronunciation. It's about Mia, who's a seriously ill teenager. She falls in love with a drug dealer, Moses, uh, oh, who good. is her parents' <laughs> worst nightmare. Moses, by the way, is played by Toby Wallace. Now, this is a movie that I really was unsure of, but it was very well reviewed, so I gave it a shot. And I actually found it fairly enjoyable. It's surprisingly amusing at times, but also very real uh, in how it, it handles the material of someone who may be into some stuff that he really shouldn't be, but isn't that by his core, his nature isn't a bad person. He is very caring and loving person. The, the movie does kind of go back and forth, though, quite a bit of should we accept him should we not into our home Hmm. um maybe one or two times a little too much but otherwise i largely found this to be a very enjoyable and 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 pretty good uh film i recommend if you haven't seen baby teeth you know give it a watch it's a really impressive directorial debut and i give it a seven out of ten Okay, so that does it for the week in review of what we have caught up with independently. Now it's time for the main event, which is the rest of the 2020 roundup. We're going to start it all off with a movie by Spike Lee that we caught up with. It is The Five Bloods. Black GI, is it fair? To serve more than the white Americans that sent you here. Nothing is more confused than to be ordered into a war to die without the faintest idea of what's going on. I dedicate this next record to the soul brothers of the 1st Infantry Divisions. Be safe. Welcome back to Vietnam. Look at that sound. Dead man in all his glory. Who was that guy? That brother was the best damn soldier that ever lived. We bury it. Made a home, we come back and collect. I shall resign the presidency. Being back here, it is not easy. You broken man. So are you blaming yourself? You don't even know. No! been dying for this country from the bad kit. Now the time is There are things to real We give this goal to our people. Hold on! In my line of work, I have to be very careful. And that means knowing exactly who I am in business with.
This is a film that stars Delroy Lindo, Jonathan Majors, Clark Peters, Norm Lewis, Isaiah Whitlock Jr., Melanie Thierry, Paul Walter Hauser, and Jasper Pakonen, and Johnny Wen. It is about four African-American Vietnam vets who battle the forces of man and nature when they return to Vietnam, seeking the remains of their fallen squad leader, played by Chadwick Boseman, and the gold fortune he helped them hide. Shanna, I'm going to kick it to you first. Uh, you have grown to be a, a bit of a Spike Lee fan over the past couple years. What did you think of The Five Bloods? Did it measure up to what you love about Spike Lee? What was good and what was bad about it for you? Yeah, I think this was very clearly a Spike Lee film. He has this wonderful way of not only giving us a story, but also educating us all at the same time in his own visual editing quirky ways. One of the characters will say something like, I would take a grenade for you guys. And it actually shows us a picture of a soldier that did take a grenade for his team. You know, so, so he lo- I love how he interlaces real life events with whatever story he's telling. I think he's really good at it. I don't see a lot of other people getting away with it. Mm. As well as he or in the way yeah. that he does. Yeah, because I think it's it's kind of his, you know? Okay. Yeah, I love the performances. I really enjoyed the story. I was tense most of the time. But hey, that's when you know you're watching a Spike Lee film, right? Hmm. doesn't matter what it's about you're gonna be tense so was there anything you didn't like about the movie no i think it i i think i was pretty pleased with how everything ended up and the process it went through very good so uh, this film is a very interesting film it's not a flawless film i don't know if i would say it is spike lee's best film it might be it's probably certainly among his 10 best films. Uh, but this film is Spike Lee by way of Coen Brothers in the sense that Coen Brothers movies are often and usually about a group of people after money or fortune, right? And how plans usually go awry. And that's mm-hmm. essentially what we have here with a uh, group of people going after gold. Right. And uh, their plans going awry. What you have wrapped around that very thin premise is a whole bunch of other stuff that involves the complications regarding uh, all the nuances that can come with the Vietnam War. And the fact that our our stars are African-Americans are blacks, uh, that there's so much wrapped up in all of that. And then on top of that, all you have because of the Vietnam War, you have issues with PTSD and. And a sort and of denial of PTSD, too. That can happen, yes, in, in the movie, absolutely. And then, of course, the, what, what sort of PTSD does the story itself dictate, too? That That is definitely the case, at least with one of the characters, right? I found it very interesting because of those aspects of the film. I think that it's also refreshing and, and good and interesting that the film doesn't play the Vietnamese as the quote-unquote other. You see... There are several occasions in the film where the Vietnamese are people too. You, they could have their own. There are certain Vietnamese that could have their own story, 
their own movie uh, centered around them, what led them to where they are. Uh, there's good Vietnamese and not so good Vietnamese. There's Vietnamese in the Vietnam, the Vietnam War who are uh, just like we've seen with several of our soldiers in films talking about their ga- girls back home and trying to get and hoping to get back home or whatever, you know, before uh, a gunfight takes place or whatever, you know. Mm. So the humanization. Yes, yes. That is something that I had I don't recall seeing much in all the Vietnam War films I mm. have seen. So know? it was very unique in that way. Yes, for me, absolutely. I I do have to say, like, propaganda artwork was shown. Yes, on the Vietnamese side, yes. Yeah, and it was the most beautiful propaganda art I've ever seen. Probably because they went with the direction of women and children so strongly. Right, you're t- you're talking about the, the the from an artistic perspective. You're talking yeah. about what is being depicted and and how there is often the the this valiant character in the propaganda that is a woman holding a baby, long and, hair, right? Yeah, yeah, so really like showing this celebration of femininity mm. that it can be strong too. And I just thought that that was really good, and it apparently worked on me because I was like, oh, you have my attention, <laughs> so. Mm. I thought that that was very interesting. It made me want to do a little more research on propaganda art around the world, actually. I like how the film does honor uh, black vets as well. It makes some very interesting and good points about African-Americans' roles in war, the percentages of African-Americans in war, and also how, how we have honored so many people from that era in the arts or in social justice issues. But when it comes to the soldiers, they haven't gotten their honor, their due. Like the man you referenced earlier, who uh, was, I think, the first um, black man who get got like a Purple Art or something like that, or a Medal of Honor, or one of those Yeah, I know it's really bad that I'm right? not actually saying his name, because that's actually fairly disrespectful. But Well, and, and it, it falls in line with how disrespectful society and history has been to these men. And this film does does try to write some of that and the film and and to that end the film is also a little bit about reparations right one of the issues i do have is i kind of wish like here and there there's little things where people are saying exactly what is happening or what the movie is about or what you're thinking and the little moments like that i wish that was was not done because it doesn't feel necessary you know so there's a lot to to uh, appreciate about this movie. There are issues with logic or flaws or, you know, how things happen. But I think also, like, another thing to point out that's worthwhile is Delroy Lindo gives a, a tremendous performance in this film as a guy who's, like, very easily triggered. He's got his some major, major issues, and he kind of loses it a little. And it is not a one-note performance in any way. Sometimes one issue I have is he does go back and forth way too much about his son, in ways that don't really feel sometimes it makes sense sometimes i get it sometimes i'm not like it doesn't it, it's just you know one second ago you're like totally on his side and like and saving his life and then next you're flipping out on it, it doesn't make any sense so that yeah, didn't, i think it does his brain is broken it didn't really work for me hmm. uh, as much but uh, was there anything else you want to add yeah so that soldier whose name we have not learned that we will learn from this point going forward is Mil- milton l olive the third very good. And he died at 18 years old, and he was 
one of the first African-American soldiers to be awarded the Medal of Honor in Vietnam. Thank you for that. And, and, and yes, Spike Lee makes a point of actually counting down the number of days that he lived as well. So uh, the Five Bloods, I, I had put it on the back burner for most of the year. I wasn't sure if, it, you know, this has been a crazy year in terms of what 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 was a theatrical film what was not what's a streaming film and for the most part just about every movie that went to streaming was actually slated originally to go to theaters so the five bloods were considering absolutely when looking at the year 2020 oh also what do we score that film well i would give it a nine a nine okay i give it an eight out of ten for the minor flaws that it does have in it Next, moving right along here, our next film is David Byrne's American Utopia. Coincidentally, another Spike Lee film. Yeah, didn't we do The Five Bloods and then we went to American Utopia straight after? I don't remember. Or, uh, no, the we? next day we did Maybe American Utopia, Utopia. Yeah, the next day, yeah. Okay, so American Utopia is a... Re- a recorded performance of a Broadway production that David Byrne, former frontman of the band from the late 70s to mid-80s or through the 80s, The Talking Heads, he did based on his album from 2018 called American Utopia. You got all that? So Spike Lee essentially decided to try to film and document one of the performances here. Shannon, you were not terribly familiar with David Byrne prior to this viewing this documentary, right? True. Okay. I'm curious about your thoughts. And afterwards, we immediately watched the legendary uh, <laughs> Jonathan Demi concert film, Stop Making Sense. Talk to us about your thoughts about David Byrne, your thoughts about this movie, and how it compares maybe to something as highly revered as Stop Making Sense, and and, uh, what you liked or didn't like about American Utopia. So I prefer this one. I love the stage design, the neutrality that they had with all the gray tones they were using. It's so pretty in its neutral way, and it really allows your eye to focus on the expressions and the musical instruments that the people, uh, the performers are interacting with. It was a really charming and engaging performance. I loved the feature song by Janelle Monet that was uh, performed at the Women's March, and I loved the story behind that too that he shared with us. The hell are you talking about? Yeah, yeah, that was really, really good. I always find myself wanting a new We Didn't Start the Fire song, but this felt hearing that it felt really satisfactory and so that itch was you know scratched i loved the little bits of information or stories that he shared in between songs when there was a break and (sighs) these songs were very stuck in my head for a whole week so yeah i really enjoyed it yeah and 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 uh, compared to stop making sense i didn't like stop making sense oh why is that that's surprising I would become distracted by what the people were wearing or doing or what the backgrounds were that were interchangeable. Like, I like the beginning of it, mm-hmm. how they set up the stage, but... Piece by piece, song by yeah. song. But, like, as it got further, I found myself totally disengaging. Huh. Yeah. 
Not so much with American Utopia. No, not at all. So I think American Utopia is not just a concert film. It is... This is the film that 2020 needed. And what I mean by that is it's a movie that not only speaks to issues issues of the year, uh, pandemic aside, I don't think it speaks to the pandemic, but it speaks to other issues in America this year. And also, at the same time, provides a bit of joy and it, 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 it calls for a sense of unity and coming together and, com- and a sense of compassion. And it is such a, 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 in many ways, it's such a healing, cathartic and, and joyful film in a year that has been in such need of those things. Uh, America Utopia is, is, a, is a great film. And in terms of how it compares to the legendary Stop Making Sense from 1984, I think Stop Making Sense is, is as far as concert films go, it is absolutely 100% one of the best in terms of its construction and the performances too. And David Byrne is a big part of that. The guy was um, sort of genius as a front man. Here, he's just plain genius. <laughs> and this film, I think, is better than even that because it offers more than just performance of songs by really good musicians you have also it's worth noting that his his backup band here his performers that are using wireless instruments by the way electric wireless instruments all over back like backgrounds all over the country and i think even maybe a couple outside of the country if i'm not mistaken i could be wrong about that different um, very international different ethnicities different sexualities all kinds of just basically a portrait of what america is today and probably has been that we just haven't been uh, willing to recognize right and they are all really great really great performers yes i i agree with you hell you're talking about standout song uh from this performance everybody's coming to my house great love oh, it oh yeah and the story around that was so cool one fine day also really stand out there's uh, several from this that are are absolute standouts it is one of the best concert films i have ever seen and i give david burns american utopia a nine out of ten yeah, I could go with that, too. All right. So that is on HBO Max. Next, we watched two films, two of the five films from Steve McQueen's Small Axe film series. These are movies that were originally designed and produced for the BBC. They all went to film festivals in the States here, and uh, they are feature-length films that are a part of a a series that all have to do with West Indians in London, the the West Indian community there. The first one is called Mangrove. Mangrove is an over two-hour film that tells the true story of the Mangrove Nine who clashed with London police in 1970. The trial that followed was the first judicial acknowledgement of behavior motivated by racial hatred within the Metropolitan Police. As I said, it's directed by Steve McQueen, but it stars uh, such notables 
as Letitia Wright, Sean Parks, Malachi Kirby, uh, Roshenda Sandal, Jack Loden, and many other British talents. What preceded this clash was actually how a uh, West Indian restaurant in the community was being constantly harassed by the police for little to no ground and how also West Indians were being stopped and, and harassed on the street by the police with little to no ground and foundation as well. Shannon, what did you think of Mangrove? I loved Letitia Wright's performance. That is Shuri from Black Panther. Mm -hmm. I love seeing her. I think she is a very strong actress. You know, this film is a good reminder that intolerance and racism exists across the world uh, from small communities to big cities. It, it doesn't matter. It exists everywhere. And so this film's a good reminder of that. I did find myself comparing this film to the Chicago 7. Trial of the Chicago 7 from earlier yeah. with Aaron Sorkin. And so I found that. And then we actually, you know, something came up with our, our son. And so we were like, oh, well, let's watch that. And uh, watching that after Mangrove was very good for me because I realized, okay, I like Chicago 7 more as a film. But Mangrove was very educational and very interesting. And I felt like Mangrove had a lot more passion and the emotions were more on the sleeve of the characters mm. compared to Chicago 7. I think it's very interesting. It's one of those little outsider quirks that you might pick up on uh, if you're an immigrant. Like Americans are very controlled with their emotions. Hmm, really? You know, not all the time. We obviously have exceptions. Hmm. But most of the time, it's this very controlled emotional release that occurs or all of a sudden, the valve pops open. Whereas I think other cultures are more readily, they more readily show their emotions. Okay. So I thought that that was an interesting comparison that I could make. So it's interesting hearing you make that comparison, yet also preferring the Chicago 7. What what was it that Mangrove didn't have that Chicago 7 did have? Oh, yeah. I think, you know, we talked about this. I think what was missing for me was like a lack of comedy. Compare, comparing the two together, mm. I need to have comedy in all the seriousness. Mm-hmm. And there was comedy in Mangrove. Like you levity. reminded me. Yeah. And I was like, oh, yeah, that was really freaking good. It was, it was qu quality over quantity, <laughs> I suppose. So for I me, mean, this, this is a fine film. It's a very relevant film, obviously. A group of black people gathering and clashing with police. It's not lost on me how relevant this story is to today. Letitia Wright is an absolute powerhouse, and if you don't value her as a performer yet, you absolutely should. Um, she's proven herself time and time again in each thing that I've seen her in, and I look forward to seeing more by her. I think this is a very well-filmed film. It is Steve McQueen, after all, but I, I think it's not a particularly uniquely filmed 
movie. And I think I found myself thinking, wow, this is really covering familiar territory. You know, what does this thing bring to the table that's really different? And I think the, the defining thing, the one thing that does make this different is the West Indian community. And I do recommend anybody who watches this, it's available on Amazon Prime, put on the subtitles because it's not just a matter of, oh, can I understand the Do you English? have the ear that can tune in to the accents? Yeah, it's not a matter it's of... It's more their colloquialisms too. Exactly. Yes, I was going to say it's not a matter of, oh, can I understand the English um, accent? It's really like these the manner of speech that the West Indian population has of their English is so unique I don't think you would fully catch or understand what they're saying often. So there was a part where Letitia Wright, her emotions, like she was so done and she you know, the white lawyer pissed her off and she actually took off her shoe and was about to hit him. And I thought to myself, oh, that's fantastic. Like, I want to see that. You know, I, I like I think those were my favorite moments was seeing so much emotion. Hmm. Yeah, so I give Mangrove a 7 out of 10. It's 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 very good, but not a great film. How about you? Yeah, 7 is good. Oh, really? Okay. Next is the second film from the Small Axe film series. It's called Lover's Rock. Lover's Rock is a 70-minute film that is about a single evening at a house party in a 1980s West London developing intertwined relationships against a background of violence, romance, and music. Uh, the cast for this film does not have really any recognizable faces. It stars Amara J. St. Aubin, Michael Ward, Shaniqua Okwok, Kadar Williams-Sterling, Ellis George, and Francis Lovehall, among many, many others. Shannon, why don't you ease us into Lover's Rock with your thoughts on the film? So, I don't know, Jeff. Do you, did you ever go to parties? <laughs> uh, yeah, I went to some, but not not a lot. Did, were any of them remotely as crowded as this one was? No. Okay. So, you didn't go to parties. Okay. All right, then. Yes, thank you. I Thank you for making clear to everybody how much of a loser I am. Thank you. That's not what my intention was. My intention was to see what your party experience was. Um, I had been to maybe three parties like this in my life and I was reminded very quickly while watching this film of the reasons I don't go to parties or didn't go to parties whenever I was invited. Mm. You know, so it gets that right. It gets the moods and the ups and the downs and the, you know, the nonsense that can happen. It gets all the right beats. The best part of this film, I thought, was this gorgeous this lovely contrast of feminine and masculine energies when the when the women were dominating the dance floor for a particular song there was this beautiful singing along with the you know the song that was being played and it was calm and it was seductive and it was just lovely energy um and then there was the masculine (laughs) energy when all the men got on the dance floor and they were just really letting out their energy in a very physical way by bouncing up and down and really like these rough you know deep voices letting out their their sort of coming along with the song 
So I loved how the dance floor was kind of this canvas for different energies being contrasted, but then also how they come together too. The best character in this film was the DJ. I thought that mm. man was amazing. <laughs> I like him. I want him at all the parties. I think he's great. Uh, the way that he's interacting with everyone. Um, it was also this great way of showing how music can be this diffuser of any aggressive action or energy. The The DJ had noticed one particular individual was having a hard time trying to work something out on the dance floor mm -hmm. within himself. And okay. he actually called him out and like was checking in on him in his own way. Hmm. And I thought that that was so beautiful. And then everything else that happens in this film is totally totally uh realistic so i think you got a lot out of this movie than i did i was fairly disappointed i in this film i didn't think that there was a whole lot to it a whole lot going on it was literally like taking a camera to a house party and panning it around you know, all the participants for the most part sometimes we go outside of the house and see some interactions going on out there and sometimes not but I, I i will say that the one thing that was a highlight a huge highlight for me this film is there's a song called silly game that is being played and all of a sudden after a couple minutes the the music drops and everyone continues singing for several minutes this song, Silly Game. And it's just a, a, just a beautiful moment that, well, it's more than a moment. <laughs> it's a, it's a it's beautiful... It's very long, yeah. Yeah, it's, it's, a, it's a beautiful part of this film that, that carries on. And it's just whatever's going on with all these people's lives, you have this moment where they're come, they come together and they're able to... Kind of move as one. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And it's beautiful. Uh, but I don't know. I just, there was not any narrative momentum. There wasn't any clear story. And I just, it felt listless to me. So This movie is for all the losers that weren't invited to the party. Well, it didn't speak to me. <laughs> that's for sure. I'm just that's kidding. <laughs> uh, I, I give the film a six out of ten. Oh, I give it a seven. All right. So that is Lover's Rock. That... That and Mangrove make up two of the five small acts films on Amazon Prime. Next, we watched another documentary called Time. Time is an 80-minute documentary about Fox Rich, who fights for the release of her husband, Rob, who is serving a 60-year prison sentence for armed robbery. Shanna... Share with us your thoughts on time, what you liked and what didn't work for you about that film. Um, look, this was a really well put together film. You know, Fox obviously started taking video footage of all her kids, of her family for her husband so they wouldn't feel like he was missing out. Mm. Um, so a way to include him. And so you've got this large amount of footage that is so beautiful i'm pretty sure it's like pre-cell phone let me whip out my phone and take a quick video yeah for the family i get know? that impression and here she is being her own documentarian yeah. you know and then i think she has support later 
with that? Yeah, the the film is, to be uh, clear, directed by Garrett Bradley. So there, at some point, there was a documentarian involved. Yeah, and what's great about this documentary is that it really shows the intimacy of a family trying to be a family. Mm. People within the family sticking together, keeping cool heads, mm-hmm. because it's out of your control. You, you can't have daddy home. And... What is it like when you're trying to fight for him to come back? That is what this film gets right, is all about this family's journey into bringing dad home. What I would have loved to have seen was some sort of statistics, percentages, to take it beyond this family unit for me. Mm. Because, you know, showing me the intimacy of your family, that's where you get my attention and you get my commitment Um, to finding out more about what this struggle is. But I needed a little bit more. I needed to know, okay, like how long does it take a family to get parole? You know, is someone studying the effects of prison or jail on children? Like how are they affected when a parent isn't there? How are they affected when they do see their parent twice a month for I think two hours at a time? Mm. Give me the emotional stuff. Give me some stats about that. And that would give me a broader picture, which I feel feel like is the only thing this film is lacking, mm. is give me the bigger picture. Like I see your story and I understand that other people are going through this too, but I need just a little bit more to, to fathom it. See... For me, I felt the opposite. This is a very subjective story. And I feel like if you want the objective and the statistics, go watch Ava DuVernay's 13th or something, some other documentary. Okay, that's a good point. There is something that exists out there already. The, The idea about this is to provide a very subjective experience of, of, you know, what happens when a loved one is serving time. I think, first of all, this movie is less about the man behind bars and more about the extraordinarily patient and inspiring woman who is fighting to get the man out of behind bars. And she is an extraordinary and, 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 and just impressive woman, uh, Fox Rich. She did, to be clear, she did serve time as well. She was sentenced to... 12 years i think and she only she must have only served like a couple of those I think she only did like five or seven i think right. it was five years okay maybe. Uh, and, and that's kind of i'm putting that together based on the amount of footage she has created of her little ones and how old they must they were roughly when she started creating footage And she only got an easier break because she took a plea deal and her partner did not. Her husband did not take a plea deal. So they threw the book at him. And it's a question of, well, should the book necessarily be as harsh for that? Does does the time really um, serve the crime necessarily? But again, the movie isn't. That's kind of like this this question that hangs over the film but it's really a film that focuses on the family and the wife fox and it has this interesting theme about time yes there's a man who is serving time but it's also 
about how much time it's taking for her to to be able to get anywhere with his case and have it re-looked at or you know all these people that she has to call the the judges secretaries or assistants or whatever they're called and there's also themes about like there's there's almost like a ticking clock in the sense that she wants to try to get him out before his twins turn 18 you know and there's there's all these other aspects of time throughout the film that really make it that kind of elevates the film and and provides like a whole nother layer to it okay so she was sentenced to three and a half years in prison thank you for clearing that up and while pregnant with the twins but the the I found it very interesting this theme of time that recurs throughout these 80 minutes and uh, it really helps make helps avoid this film from feeling rote feeling familiar feeling like a needle in a haystack here or, or another part of the haystack I should say um, so I highly recommend time I thought it was well worth the time to invest in it and i gave it an eight out of ten how about you i give it a eight all right so that is time on uh, amazon prime next the secret garden shall i tell you a story Story of an orphan girl who was sent to live in a mysterious house. If you cause me trouble, I'll have you sent away in an instant. You understand? Where she discovered something, something magical, something secret. But let me start at the beginning. My name is Mary Lennox, and my uncle owns this house. I'm Colin Craven, and the uncle you speak of is my father. My cousins. When was the last time you used your chair? I've never been able to walk. We could go outside, and who knows? You might feel better. Who are you? I'm digging. I need you to keep a secret. Why have you just spat on yourself? If you're too much of a lady, then there's no... I'm no lady, sir. I'm trying to tell you. I know of a magical place. People of extraordinary things. I'd say that you were lying. Do you trust me? You know what you risk? It's worth the risk. The wall! Magic is on our side. Once, this house was filled with light, laughter, happiness. This garden needs to cure Colin. Your excitement could kill him. Colin needs to live. This house is a prison. Your son needs you. It's beautiful. The house is... Magic. Secrets. Her. Another adaptation of the 1911 novel, 
The author of that novel is Francis Hodgson Burnett. This is like the fourth or fifth time this story has been adapted to film. The most notable previously was 1993's adaptation by Agnieszka Holland, the Polish filmmaker. This version stars a newcomer, I believe her name is Dixie Egerikuks. There's no way I can pronounce that correctly. I apologize. Richard Hansel, David Very, Tommy Jean Surridge, and uh, most notably, Julie Walters and Colin Firth. In case you're not familiar with the story of The Secret Garden, it's a children's novel. It tells the story of an orphan girl who discovers a magical garden hidden at her strict uncle's estate and how she befriends a cousin she discovers and, and a groundskeeper, I believe. Shanna, you have been wanting me to see the 1993 version for years now. I finally got to. So you have a history with this story. You grew up with this story. Tell us a little bit about your thoughts on this version of The Secret Garden. Well, I can't possibly share my thoughts about this one without sharing my thoughts about the 93 version. What we did was really fun. We watched the 93 version and then we watched the 2020 version. So that was, it's always fun to do that experience if there's something that already exists. And I forgot how much I loved the 93 version. The score, the quietness of the film, the arc of the characters and the supporting characters, supporting the main ones, is just this perfect web of storytelling. The new one, however, is sadly over visually effective and the characters don't have much of an arc. It's more of a tiny blimp and how they treat supporting characters, they may as well not even be there in this 2020 film. I did, however, like the mother's stories, but it was maybe too much screen time for them compared to who the story is actually about. I certainly am more interested in listening to the book after watching both these versions, uh, but I think 93 got it better. 2020 was a bit too visually excited to take hold of this story. This film is visual catnip for you. Yeah, yeah. And it's unfortunate that nothing else balanced that out. Mm. I'm really glad that you showed me the 1993 version, which uh, from what I can tell is the most, most faithful adaptation of this story. I did some research and read what the novel is and, and comparatively. And this film is so far from what the source material is. It is the source material in its skeletal forms, largely. And I, I, I'm really glad it was not my first exposure to this story. Of all the movies that we're talking about here, it is one of the movies that I had the most notes on. Oh, um, well, well, before you dive in there, I just want to say that this is supposed to be a story about children's grief and children coming together to heal mm -hmm. through interaction with nature. Yes. And that is what this is supposed to be about. It's supposed to show how they're hurting and how they turn that around. Yes, and the organic healing power of nature... Right. Just working and, and being having your hands in the dirt and all, all kinds of things and being surrounded by it. And 
And in the 93 version, I mean, there's a lot of animals and stuff. And the, the problem, there's so many problems I had with this version. First of all, this is <laughs> not so much a garden as a freaking forest acre like ah, there's yes. like there's acres and acres and acres of land whereas it was much more clear that it was it was an enclosed space in the 93 version and apparently in the novel this like they're able to carry on i don't know how far it goes but there's a forest there's a stream there's an actual garden area there's a big tree with a swing on it it just it just carries on and on this is not a garden for god's sakes it's like it's lost its intimacy for sure that's a very good point that's a very good way of putting it and it 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 does try to be visually lush but and also it, it it changes a lot of the original story this is not a story that i have an affinity for to be too protective of but the changes ask me why more than anything more than enhancing the story like it updates the story to 1947 not sure why it does that it 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 sands kind of the some of the edges down that to a point where how authority figures interact with children does not feel period accurate yes yes you're absolutely right there's things that happen in the in the climax. I'm like, why why do this thing that you just end up undoing in the final minute of the movie anyway? I don't really. It it, it takes away from the idea of the ending. It's kind of awkward. There's a lot of awkwardness in general in this film. Some of the interactions between the two cousins feels more forced than organic. Yeah. Uh, the kids, by the way, they're supposed to be very pri- privileged and rich coming from English stock and everything. There's a fucking castle they're living in practically. And yet they do not feel nearly as bratty as they're supposed to be, not nearly as spoiled as they're as supposed entitled. to be. Yeah. yeah, yeah. It's it's um there's not much as such there's not much of an arc for them that it kind of flattens the arc for the characters a little bit more just so many issues with this with this version of the story from what i understand it to be Uh, and then also they try to really introduce some magical realism uh, that seems to be very far off of what the original author was intending uh, francis hodgson burnett and it goes in much more fantastical areas. So I can't recommend The Secret Garden. Of all the movies so far that we have seen, this is definitely the one that I can recommend the least. And I don't think the good outweighs the bad. I, I give this movie a 3 out of 10. That's so funny. I was going to give it a 3. Yeah, very good. Yeah, yeah, there's really very little good in this film yeah. it's not un- entirely unwatchable it's just as a version of this story it seems very bad <sighs> i'm just i'm trying not to be angry and go off yeah fair enough so that is the secret garden next we go back to documentaries with another highly recommended documentary from earlier this year called Athlete A. Uh, You can find it on Netflix. It is from the documentarians Bonnie Cohen and John Schenck. This film follows the Indianapolis star reporters that broke the story about USA Gymnastics doctor Larry Nassar's abuse 
And you hear from gymnasts like Maggie Nichols, who were victims of said abuse. Shanna, do you have any thoughts on Athlete A? (laughs) This was a fine documentary. It gave us all the facts. It gave us all the issues that these victims were facing to try and bring to light their abuser. I like that they brought to our attention that it's not just the person committing the sexual assault, but the people who protect that individual that need to be held accountable to. Something that they mention in the documentary is that if you don't report a sexual crime to a minor, it's actually, is it a federal offense? Oh God. I I can't remember if it's federal or if it's, what's the other one? Well, federal is national. And otherwise, there would be a state. Okay. So I can't remember which one it falls into. My bad. Like a felony. But it's, it's, you can be taken to court for it just as hard as the actual person committing the crime. Mm. So you would think that there would be this place, this, this understanding that, hey, there's an allegation. We better get this sorted out. We did our part. You would think that people would jump on that. But it, it really, the documentary really goes into showing systematic abuse versus oh this is just what this person does you know that's interesting that you say that and i can't quite i can't quite deny what you're saying is true but i do feel like the emphasis more than anything else is on larry nasser and this particular person's actions i thought this is a very searing and eye-opening documentary Anybody who has watched the Olympic gymnastics from USA, Team USA, for the past 20-plus years and has cared about any of those gymnasts should watch this documentary. That said, I'm a little disappointed at how myopic it is in just... It mentions how, just uh, in passing, how there were people like Larry all over. And yet, that's the most you hear about that in this film. And you really, it really just focuses on one guy. Mm-hmm. And while there is a certain degree of catharsis of having someone brought to justice for what they've done repeatedly, it, it's just there's so many others. And I, I'm a little disappointed that the documentary ignored that. And also, there's certain people that are spoken about in this movie, and as such, you're given an impression about certain people in this movie on, on both sides of the issue. And I really wish that they were able to get those people on mic and hear their perspective of certain events, too, including the man in question, Larry. It would have been a really tremendous if they were able to really confront this guy but maybe, maybe. Well, they, they do show, you know, when it's the court hearing where the victims, can, the survivors can come up and say what they think of this man. They do show that. And I don't, I, I hear where you're coming from. But at the same time, this is a systematic sexual predator that has a system that's supporting his sexual predatory behavior. He doesn't deserve to have screen time beyond that i agree you know i'm willing to actually absolutely go with that he's also a child predator 
Yes, 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 yes. I'm willing to go with that, and maybe it's not necessary, but I do. There's other people that are spoken about that are not predators that were on the other side of things that I wish were given mic time. Yes, like the ranch parents. Them too. Yeah. Uh, at any rate, I, there's a little bit more I wished from this. It doesn't quite deliver what I would have liked. So I give this film, Athlete A, a 7 out of 10. How about you? Yes, I give it a 7 too. Is it? Okay. Even though you liked it a little bit more. Look, it's it's a fine documentary. It's mm-hmm. it's no sugar man. Okay, right. You know? Not earth shattering, you're yeah. saying. Okay, gotcha, gotcha. Very good. All right, the next movie, kind of on the opposite end of the spectrum here, is a little holiday film called Happiest Season, which uh, went to Hulu instead of the theaters. I just woke up thinking about going home with you and got very excited about Christmas. I get to go meet the people that made my favorite person. I'll always take December away over summer. Abby, you and Harper have a perfect relationship. She is my person, and I really want everyone to know that. I want to marry her. What are you doing on your phone? I left a gentleman alone in my apartment, so I'm tracking him to make sure he leaves. You're tracking him? Yeah, I track everybody. If the NSA can do it, so can I. I'm so excited. I can't believe I'm finally going to meet everyone. There's something that we should talk about. I didn't tell my parents I'm gay. So who do they think I am? This is Harper's orphan friend, Abby. Yes, of course. They're there. You're so brave. You don't need to be. I cannot believe I've got all my daughters under one roof. So her parents believe their straight daughter brought home her lesbian friend for Christmas? Not exactly. They also think that I'm straight. Have they ever met a lesbian? This is why I avoid Christmas. It brings out the worst in everything. I've always skated circles around you. <laughs> I love it when they do this. You're such a cheater! Makes it so fun. No, Liz! Just be yourself. But don't lie. You're a very bad liar. Riley! Harper. This is Abby. Abby is my orphan roommate. We, I am an orphan, but we live together as friends. Um, like acquaintances. Oh, please stop. Yeah. Out on the... I can relate to being in love with somebody that is too afraid to show the world who they are. <laughs> what are you doing in the closet? I'm here to rescue you. Are you the ex-boyfriend? Yes, I am very sexually attracted to her. Mm. A female. I nailed that and she is fabulous. Do you know how painful it's been to watch the person that I love hide me? I am not hiding you. I am hiding me. Everybody's story is different. Just because Harper isn't ready doesn't mean she doesn't love you. Abby, honey, are you okay? Huh? Morning. I'm sorry about all this mess. Morning, kids. Morning. Honey, I'm headed to the office. Have a good day. You know I will. This film is written and directed by Clea Duvall. Clea Duvall is a character actress who's been in oh, such movies as uh, Robert Rodriguez's The Faculty in the mid to late 90s and many other things. This film is about a holiday. Well, it is a holiday romantic comedy, according to IMDb, that captures the range of emotions tied to wanting your family's acceptance, being true to yourself, and trying not to ruin Christmas. More specifically, it's about a couple who goes to visit one of the members' 
families and uh, how that woman has not come out to her family and so her partner has to pretend to be a roommate and hilarity and not be gay herself right that too yeah she has to pretend to be straight so this stars Kristen Stewart, Mackenzie Davis, Mary Steenburgen, Victor Garber, Allison Brie, Mary Holland, and Aubrey Plaza and Dan Levy. Shanna, share with us your thoughts of Happiest Season, what you liked and didn't like about it. I, I really like this one. I love the cast. The cast was great. We even got, uh, what is her name, from Parks and Rec. Aubrey Plaza. Yeah, so that was really fun to see her. Um, and I thought her acting was very, very fine. Very on point. What was it about her movie. acting you liked? Her her facial expressions and her expression through her eyes was all very subtle, but totally evident. It all came through, all her mm-hmm. emotions, even though she wasn't saying much. So that was really exciting. And I obviously liked the set designs. I love Christmas movies. I thought that... My favorite character was definitely the friend, played by who from Schitt's Creek? Oh, Dan Levy, who okay. I believe is Eugene Levy's son. Okay. Um, I really liked him. I thought he was great. <laughs> I loved his lines and his delivery of everything that he was doing, so that was awesome. And I thought that, look, I loved all the beats in the film, even though I was freaking out on the side of like, no, she she doesn't love you that much. Don't do it. Don't go with her. You know? Um, mm-hmm. So it was really fun. So over the years, Christmas movies are a dime a dozen. I mean, just look at Lifetime Channel, right? Or the Hallmark Channel or one of those channels, right? Or don't, you know, stay away from them. But... <laughs> Every once in a while, we get something truly special. There is the Christmas Story, the National Lampoon's Christmas Vacations, the Home Alones, the Santa Claus, the Elves. We really haven't had much since Elf that really is a true Christmas classic. And I really feel like we finally have something that might be able to be considered as part of the wonderfully celebrated Christmas canon here. I really enjoyed ha- Happiest Season. I thought it was hilarious. I thought the cast was perfect and brilliant. Look, it, it, it follows some of the some frustrating tropes where all people have to do is just be honest and, 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 and say a particular line of dialogue for there not to be a plot. It asks you to get over that, and it, 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 and thankfully <laughs> it forces you to get over that. Yeah, but thankfully, not only does the cast and their their performances make that possible, but I think the direction and everything else allows that to happen. It it, it does. It is actually surprising how it avoids being one note too in its material. The daughter played by Mackenzie Davis, who is Lomaine love interest to Kristen Stewart. She is not the only daughter that has issues. There are three daughters in total, and her her sisters are Allison Brie and Mary Holland. Mary Holland is practically like throwing herself on the kitchen counter for attention, you know. Uh, and and Allison Brie plays this buttoned up, picture perfect daughter. 
right? Not quite the favorite, but the one who strives to be the favorite, but doesn't ever quite get that attention. And how the movie progresses through each of their stories and what what is actually going on and what happens with the parents in the end is actually very impressive. It's also really great to have a story that focuses on a gay couple at the center of it and it, it treats it just like we have with every heterosexual couple at the center of every other Christmas movie in the history of time. So it's very enjoyable, very appreciative, um, I, I appreciate it for what it's doing. And yes, Dan Levy is brilliant. I have not seen Schitt's Creek. I can't believe this guy hasn't done much beyond Schitt's Creek. And he's like in his late 30s. I don't know where this guy has been, but he is a true find for me. The guy's hilarious and talented. And I loved him in this film. And Kristen Stewart also is is really fucking good. Like she jumps through so many goddamn hoops for the woman that she loves in here. Um, and I, I will, I'll hold back from saying more about that, <laughs> uh, but, uh, she's, I, you know, there's a reason why she's one of my favorite actresses as noted on one of my recent posts on the GibsonReview.com. What do you give the film out of 10? I give this film a nice solid six. I give it a seven out of 10. Uh, and that is the happiest season. Next, we have just two more films. To get through, let's get on into them. The next one is Sound of Metal. You sound great. Yeah, right. What? You're telling me you weren't feeling it? You were in it. We don't need to, we don't need to put them all out. I know, but we just need to film hearing is deteriorating rapidly. We'll come back. Till then, Lou, we just keep going, okay? No. Lou, no. let's play tomorrow. Let's see what it's like, okay? I'm gonna be like a click track. You can play to me. You have to understand your first responsibility is to preserve the hearing you have. I can't hear you. Do you understand me? I can't. I'm deaf. I'm deaf. found a place. I think it's important that you stay here with us right now, Ruben. We're looking for a solution to, to this. Not this. I need you to wait for me, okay? You're it for me, Lou. You're my part. You're it for me, okay? You gotta wait for me. does keep moving it can be a damn cruel place but those moments of stillness Suddenly becomes radiant and magnificent. All the 
place will never abandon you. Uh, this film is about a heavy metal, metal drummer's life being thrown into freefall when he begins to lose his hearing. It stars Riz Ahmed and Olivia Cook. Uh, principally with uh, supporting performances by Paul Racy and Matthew Amalric and several others. Shanna, you were you heard the title of this, you heard the premise of this. You're kind of a little reluctant going into this film. What did you think of Sound of Metal? So, if you're sensitive to sounds, particularly heavy metal sounds. It's okay, you can get through this film. I got through it, and it's okay. I thought this was a fine story about the journey of one chapter closing and a new one beginning, but also the fight that occurs between needing to close chapters and start new chapters in your life. That was really beautifully depicted through actions and choices of the characters in this film. There are beautiful moments of tender compassion and firm communication, as well as empathy-inducing moments for people with hearing devices. I have someone I love that has one, and let's just say because of this movie, I now have better insight into what they may be feeling or more like what the world is sounding like to them. And therefore, I can show or practice more compassion and understanding towards that particular loved one. What, what did you think about the film? Being okay with heavy metal, anything, and any noise, really. Yeah, I'm not, I'm I mean, not... you sleep through the night well... when the dog is waking me up several times in an hour. So, so oh. why don't you talk about your non-sensitivity to hearing about this film? That's lovely. That's a nice <laughs> setup there, love. I am someone who does not does not shy from certain types of music. I'm not a huge lover of heavy metal, but there's some metal like bands that I do love, symphonic metal, you know, some metal like Metallica, whatever. I think if you are reluctant about a movie that may because it's about someone who's in a heavy metal band, maybe reluctant to wanting to see a film that features heavily a bunch of heavy metal because you're like, ah, I can't stand that music. Don't worry about it because there's like maybe two scenes that actually feature heavy metal performances. The sound design in this film is incredible. The subjective experience that we get of someone suddenly losing their hearing it's not a gradual thing from my perspective in, in this person's case uh, in any way. We are dropped to him suddenly like things going silent. And what that sounds like, what the muffling sounds like, why it is people they can hear but they can't um, understand what someone is saying maybe. Or they could barely hear and so therefore can't quite understand all of that stuff all the different aspects of the sound design is tremendous and it's it's one of the things that makes the film i think everything that you're saying about having to wrestle with a change in your life and and, and accepting that the life you knew it is over 
you're hitting the nail on the head about what this movie is about. Well, thank you. <laughs> I think I nailed this review. Okay, very good. <laughs> and it is it is ultimately about about that. I mean, this entire film is about that refusal to accept that struggle, right? The the desire to make things back to how they were, get back to life as it was, right? And it's very delicately handled. Riz Ahmed is a is a fine actor. I've seen him in several things: The Reluctant Fundamentalist, uh, uh, the Star Wars. I think it was Rogue One he was in, and and, and several other things. Uh, this is definitely a an opportunity to go dramatic and less big, and he does fine here. Very believable, uh, very real. What I think, who I think deserves a lot of credit here, that is, who is actually absolutely tremendous, is Paul Racy, who plays this potential guide into this new life um, and understanding of this new life as a deaf person. Uh, Paul Ray, or yeah, Paul Racy, he plays a guy named Joe. I almost called him Joe. He is apparently a man who's very well known for his deaf-friendly career. I don't think he himself is deaf. I think he was raised by deaf parents, but he's been very ASL and um, and deaf-friendly in his theater work and other things he's done, apparently, doing a little bit of research of him. And he's great here. The guy has this this power about him where he just sits and frowns and listens. <laughs> and, you know, he doesn't flip out about anything someone says. But when he speaks, you listen. And you either are affected by how you make him feel or you're you're not. And you're likely to be affected, you know? Uh, I thought he was just fantastic here. So I really wanted to put the spotlight on on him, Paul Racy. He's great in this film. I think that this is one of the best dramas of the year. And and I really appreciated how delicately everything was handled in it. So I give the film an 8 out of 10. I, too, give it an 8 out of 10. All right. So that's Sound of Metal on Amazon Prime, actually. Lastly, we have one last film. It is Wolf Walkers on Apple Plus. Is it Apple TV Plus? Apple Plus? It's Apple. Whatever it is. Yeah. It was Wolf Walkers. So this comes from the same studio. And, Shannon, maybe you can tell me what the name of that studio is. It's the studio that, um, that created The Sound of Kells. Sorry, Secret of Kells, The Breadwinner, and Son of the Sea. Is that right? Yeah. Okay, so what's the name of the studio? Because it's a, it's a studio. It's, with, it's a couple. It's a studio with a great track record so far. And uh, I, it's it's funny that unlike Pixar or whatever, like it, it's it's very hard for us to nail down who this is. So the reason it's so difficult to find is because you kind of get lost in who's bringing it to us. Mm. So G-Kids is bringing Wolfwalkers to us. But the people who are actually known for this style. The animation studio. Yeah, the animation studio is Cartoon Saloon 
which is an Irish animation film and television studio based in Kilkenny, which provides illustration, design, film, and TV services. And they're best known for what we've mentioned already, The Secret of the Kells, Song of the Sea, The Breadwinner, and now their latest is Wolfwalkers. They've had Academy Award nominations. Um, they've also done some short films. And they have some cartoon series, which I'm totally going to go check out after this because I was not aware of that until this moment. Wolf, wolf, hunt them far in yonder. The forest is brimming with wolves. It's my job to hunt them down, not yours. But we could hunt them together. Wolves, bears, dragons even. <laughs> <laughs> One of them wolf walkers. Wolf walkers? The ones that can talk to wolves with some wild magic. You can come out now. We can smell ya, you stick. You're a wolf walker. You're a wolf when you sleep. A girl when you're awake. <laughs> Robin! Something's happened to me. Yeah, I can see that. Flipping great. You're a wolf now. Be a wolf! The woods are getting smaller every day. These wolves, they're just beasts. Tonight we put an end to this. I promise your mother I'd keep you safe. <laughs> So what'd you think of Wolf Walkers? You're you're a big fan of the studio. You're you're a big fan of Secret of Kells. You showed that to me. You're a big fan of Song of the Sea. How did Wolf Walkers compare for you? What did you uh, love about it? And was there anything that didn't work for you? Well, Wolf Walkers certainly seems like the longer film. It's of a young apprentice hunter and her father journey into Ireland. They're British, uh, English, to help wipe out the lost wolf pack. But everything changes when she befriends a free-spirited girl from a mysterious tribe rumored to transform into wolves by night. I love this one. This is now my favorite one out of the four. Oh. You know, I would probably rank it. This is number one, Song of the Sea, Breadwinner, Secret of Kells. I love when they're bringing their, you know, Irish mythology into it and storytelling. I love when they're acknowledging the free spirit of anyone, really. But it does seem to be that they constantly are acknowledging the free spirit of women or girls and how either a male character will jump in on there or they'll be accompanied by another female character. So in this case, it's the two, the two girls. The one is kind of 
battling to fit into this castle-like environment. And she just wants to be free. She wants to be with her father. She wants to do what she wants to do. And I love the sisterhood that forms in this film. It's not a sisterhood of blood, but it's rather a sisterhood of, you know, being on the same page, wanting to be free and not controlled by any any man or any person or anything. I think that this was a great film that depicts fear and the sacrifices we make based on fear. The fear of losing our children, the fear of our children getting hurt in any shape or form. And what I really appreciated about this film was, was of course, all of that. But I especially liked how they paralleled the story. And I don't know if this was their intention, but it was certainly running parallel to the genocide of women, which occurred in the late 1400s into the early 1700s. Uh, there's a line that, for lack of a better word, the dictator says, do not fear wolves and wild girls. And that to me, you know, really cements the fact that, you know, you don't see a lot of little girls running around in this in this film when she's in the castle environment. And so I really appreciated hearing certain lines of dialogue in this film. Yeah, so there's a lot. I would say, I would say that this studio has cemented itself as a titan of animation that needs to be recognized on par with Studio Ghibli and Pixar. In some ways, it's a, it's very early on, you know, you could say in its development. And then what it's done is on the level of Pixar's early days mm. in terms of consistency. I haven't seen a bad movie by this studio yet. I've seen all the films you we've mentioned. And, and they might be one of the only purveyors of traditional animation right now, too, uh, in terms, uh, at least on this level. Their animation is beautiful, consistently gorgeous, particularly the stories that, that take place in the UK, in Ireland or Scotland or, or England. There is this consistency, this this obsession with circular motifs. Uh, you see a lot of like this circular uh, spiraling kind of animation and lines a lot in in the animation in moments, and it's it's captivating and and beautiful. So they're they're kind of there's no one else that's really making animation like them right now and the stories mm. are very well written and and fairly solid and and quite beautiful with the wolf walkers i find it very interesting because you have this basic story of man versus nature for lack of better terms society versus the natural right society is represented by this walled off community you know all this sort of stuff against a forested area and it's interesting also how Catholicism plays into the story a little bit too. And I'm, you know, that that's something that that's worthy of chewing on and discussing and working out too. In what ways religion plays a role in this film? I, I think that element is very interesting and unique, and it is represented by the villain of the story. You know, so that that's fascinating. I think. I do think that the rules and the mechanics of these wolf walkers are a little unclear. 
and I, it's it's missing that for me of this idea of okay you 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 you're looking at me you're looking at me you're gonna scold me but I I'm serious. I mean like I just I don't know what how what else you want let me help you clear up <laughs> your misunderstanding <laughs> well this idea that you, you you fall asleep and all of a sudden like a spirit comes from your mind and somehow that spirit is solidified in the form of a wolf if you are a wolf walker that is and you become a wolf walker by being bitten and untreated by a wolf walker right not not killed but just bitten the rules around like how that works is it tangible how is it tangible when you become when the when your mind or your thought or your spirit becomes a wolf all of that, like, there's maybe it's just something you just have to kind of go with. I don't know, but yes, it's mythology. Yeah. You go with it. All right. Well, <laughs> I struggled with that a little bit, but it's not like the movie's terrible because of it. It's just an issue that I had with it. And I wish was made a little more clear, you know, because clearly, if so, if if the wolf is hurt, that doesn't necessarily mean that the person's dead. It does, because it's their soul. Uh, okay it's just that all that is kind of made a little muddy in the in the story i wish it it lacked clarity i needed but Mm -hmm. this is a fine film absolutely this has not been a great year for animation the last animated movie i can think of is onward which was pretty good but not great it was not top tier pixar Mm mm-hmm this is, you know, granted, like, there's not a whole lot to draw from, but, you know, this is definitely a contender for the best animated movie of the year. So I give the film a 7 out of 10. I give this movie a 9 out of 10. Woo! All right. So that is going to wrap up our 2020 roundup. Shanna, of all the movies that we've talked about, let's let's recap just really quickly. Which ones do you recommend the most that people, if they have to see some of these by the end of the year, which ones do you feel are absolutely you recommend the most? I recommend Wolf Walkers, The Sound of Metal. What yeah. is it? Yeah, The Sound of Metal, Athlete A, The Five Bloods, and just for fun, the Christmas one, Happiest Season. Yeah, and any that, uh, just clarify, you absolutely did not like or um, people can give a pass to or put on the back burner? I think people should also watch American Utopia. Um, everything else can wait, you know. I, I, I do say very firmly, do not go watch The Secret Garden 2020. Watch The Secret Garden 93. We're very similar ground here. Uh, for me, The Five Bloods, David Burns, American Utopia, absolutely, and Happiest Season are the ones I recommend and uh, enjoy the most. Underneath that, Sound of Metal and Wolf Walkers. The, the ones I just can't recommend that much are the, the, the Secret Garden. Can't recommend that at all. And not really so much Lovers Rock myself. So those are our thoughts on these films. But please share with us what you thought about these movies. Email us at thegibsonreview at gmail.com. That's going to about do it for this episode of The Movie Lovers. Shannon, before we talk about what people can expect from us for the rest of the year... We are so close, people. I did get sick, but we are so close to being done with this year. Just hang on a little longer. Tell people where they can find you online. 
Shanna underscore Paxton underscore photography on Instagram. And then if you want to go check my outdated film list, you can find me on Flickchart, Spellbinding A. Go to thegibsonreview.com. I am in the process of wrapping up this 10-year anniversary celebration uh, with this um, series of posts of my 100 favorite movies of all time. I'm a little behind because of life. I'm hoping by the time you're listening to this, the last piece is almost ready to be published. But check those out. I've got 100 to 76, 75 to 51, 50 to 26. Hopefully will be available on the GibsonReview.com. You can also find all episodes of The Movie Lovers on there as well, as well as past reviews and other articles. Go to Facebook to follow me, follow us there, slash The Gibson Review. Go to uh, Instagram, much more prolific on Instagram the gibson 99 is where you can find there hopefully you'll find some polls too of your favorite movies of year by year or other subjects go to flick chart the gibson 99 i'm in your boat shanna i need to update my flick chart i don't think i've touched it most of the year so gotta get those 2020 movies in there so here's what you can find the rest of the year uh this is this is the week of christmas by the way Happy holidays and Merry Christmas to those who celebrate. Hope you enjoyed this as an early Christmas gift. But we have like three or four movies that are dropping on Christmas Day. And we didn't, I didn't feel right about us just waiting for another episode or not giving them the proper due, right? We can't just wait to squeeze them into a weekend review or whatever. They need their proper review. So what we're going to do is I'm going to try to drip bonus episodes to you between the 25th and the end of the year with reviews of wonder woman 84 and i think promising young woman but definitely pixar's soul try to get those three bonus review episodes out to you in that time our next proper episode will be our 2020 in review episode where we put this year to bed nail that coffin closed and count down whatever favorite Pull movies the concrete over it <laughs> and and count down our favorite movies from the year as well as our best our picks for the best of the year in certain categories so look for that on tuesday january 5th in the meantime also these bonus episodes with these half hour or so reviews of wonder woman 1984 soul and hopefully also promising young women until then keep loving the movies this is jeff and shanna saying bye-bye